We will now be reading today's passage in the scriptures from John 13, 1 through 20. Please follow along in your own Bible or the screen. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need a wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If I know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. This is the reading of God's word. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. I just want to welcome everyone that is here today, especially if you are new or visiting for the first time, welcome. And uh, for those that are joining us online, uh, we want to say welcome to you as well. And um, I don't know if you guys noticed, but Pastor Eugene was on set playing the bass. You guys see that? He was slapping the, he was slapping the bass, right? I just want to let the uh, worship team know that I play a mean triangle. So if you guys ever need me to fill in on the triangle, I, I'm, I'm there. Um, well, there's obvious, uh, some obvious transitions that happen in life where an event uh, signifies like a new chapter uh, in our lives. Uh, but oftentimes, even though there's a clear marker for these events and these transitions, it may actually take a little while for these transitions to actually actualize, right? And um, I mean, the moment you graduate high school or the moment you turn 18 uh, signifies that you are an official adult. Uh, but for a lot of us, um, we don't really actually take on the attitude of an adult until much later in life, right? Uh, I mean, I know that uh, I, don't, I don't think I really matured into adulthood until much later in my life. And one of the reasons or one of the ways that I realized I actually became an adult was not when I turned 18. I was very far from an adult when I turned 18. Uh, but it was the moment that me and my wife went to a restaurant and I ordered uh, sparkling water. Um, there's like no sign of adulthood until you actually order sparkling water at a restaurant. You know, like, because 
before, I would just order a Coke. You know, like I need help digesting like this greasy food. Give me a Coke. But at that specific moment, I was like, oh, no, Coke's too sweet. I need sparkling water. You know, and, and no one drinks like a super fizzy, tasteless, expensive bottle of sparkling water unless you are an adult and have adult taste buds, right? Um, and, and also, like, I, I think the moment you realize you've transitioned into something, it, is, it, it, it depends on, like, what you look forward to, right? And as an adult, uh, I realized um, what I really look forward to, like, the thing that I look forward to every single week is, is trash day. Um, I love when my trash is taken by the trash truck, you know? Like, it, 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 it's like an oddly satisfying feeling knowing that, like, all your trash is gone, you know, like now you're open to like new beginnings for the week. Like I can throw away more stuff. I can open more packages, right? And, and like there was one sp- specific day where I woke up by the sound of the trash truck and like horror came into my, into my heart because I had forgotten to put the trash out, you know? And, and there's no worse, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced it. I've never experienced it. This was like the first time. So I got up, I, I put on clothes as fast as I could, and Christine's like, what, what are you doing? And I just ran outside. I, I grabbed my trash can. I'm like running after the trash truck. Luckily, he stopped. He's like, hey, don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll take your trash. And then he, he reversed all the way back to my house and then, you know, took the other trash as well. But, you know, it, it, it was, it's, it, it, I don't know. You know, it's like, have you guys ever watched videos of people cutting uh, horse hooves and like filing down their nails? It's like oddly satisfying, right? It's the same feeling. With, with, when the trash truck comes, but, you know, that's when I knew, like, I, I'm actually an adult, you know, um, and, and the reason why I bring this up is because I think in, in our Christian lives, there is the reality uh, and transition that kind of signifies who you are in Christ. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is the moment that you are, are, are founded and grounded upon that identity that you are now saved and a child of God, but the actual actualization of of an attitude of Christ-likeness may take some time. And, and, and there might be a period of time where uh, between your identity or your identification as a child of God and your salvation and actually understanding and taking upon the attitude of Christ uh, might take uh, um, a quite amount of time. And, and what we see in this passage that we just read uh, um, is really the disciples' inability to take on the attitude of Christ, um, even though they have already encountered Jesus and the gospel in their lives. And I think this is what we're going to try to tackle here as we read the story in uh, uh, John chapter 13 about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples and really displaying the magnitude of his love and contrasting that with the the, the disciples and their inability to really understand and grasp what it means to have and take on the attitude of a servant. So first of all, what we see in this passage in the very beginning of John chapter 13 is John really uh, relaying and communicating this idea of the magnitude and the full extent of Jesus' love toward us. Okay? Uh, we come to a section in the book of John where we see a story um, and, and we read about a story where, you know, you've grown up in the church, so it, it kind of... Uh, doesn't, it, it doesn't shock us as much as it should, but for people reading at that time, um, reading a story about Jesus, the Messiah, washing the feet of his disciples might almost seem contradictory to the idea of the very thesis of this book, uh, right? Because we, we talked about the purpose of John's writing, 
Uh, the purpose is so that we may know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we will have eternal life. And yet, when we think about this idea or the purpose of the book, and then we insert the story of Jesus taking on one of the lowliest positions of a servant to wash the feet of the disciples, people might question, why would the Messiah do such a thing? If Jesus is proving or, or trying to show the world that he is the Son of God, why would he stoop so low to the point where he would wash the feet of his disciples? So it really begins to make us think about the idea that the paradigm of what the world shows or defines love is very different from what the paradigm of love shown to us by God himself. Now, just to give a little context of what's going on, uh, this is during the Passover feast. Uh, if you don't know what the Passover feast is, this is when the people of Israel would gather together, would eat a large meal together to, to celebrate and commemorate um, the, the, the fleeing of Egypt, that God would liberate them from the country of Egypt and from their slavery into, and take them into the promised land. It, it was an, a, a part of a, a, a dinner to celebrate and to be grateful for what God has done for them as a nation, as a people, and as individuals. And this is what they were celebrating. And, and Jesus was there, the disciples were there. And it says that Jesus, uh, before the feast, uh, when he knew that the hour had come for him to depart, uh, so he knew that his death was imminent. Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, when you are looking forward to an event that you don't want to participate in, like the last thing you want to do is eat, right? Like if you have like a big exam that's coming up, or if you're, if you're waiting for like, you know, a school admissions, or you're waiting for like your, your year-end review, or, or, you know, I mean, or you're like, your wedding's coming up and you're doing all this plan. You know, like there's that, that stress level, right? And the last thing you want to do is eat. The last thing you want to do is maybe even like serve people, right? You just want to chill and relax and do nothing. And this is exactly what was happening in Jesus' case. And not only that, in other gospels, we read that the disciples were actually arguing amongst themselves about who is the greatest. So, and we see this vast contrast of two very different types of attitudes. Jesus, who had every right to only think about himself and his needs and the very fact that he was about to go and die for the entire world, and the disciples, who had really no care in the world, and yet Jesus is displaying an attitude of pure humility and the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest, really showcasing the pride in their heart. Now, John, the author, um, he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Um, and I don't, I don't think he does that in a boastful way because it's you know, inspired by God, but I'm sure you know, he kind of like rubbed that into the other disciples' faces right, as they were arguing. You know, I, I mean, I do that to my siblings all the time, like, hey, you know, we all know my parents love me the most, you know? Um, and, and you, you kind of do that. So you are arguing about who's the greatest. Um, John's probably like, dude, you know, hey, Jesus loves me the most, you know? And Peter, being all bold, is like, what are you talking about? You know, like, I'm, I'm the greatest because, you know, like, I, I like, you know, go out on the limb and I walked out on water, you know? And, and the other disciples are like, oh, no, I'm the greatest. And Philip's like, no, I'm the greatest. And everyone's like, who, who are you? Like, I don't even know who you are, right? Uh, and this is, and at this very moment, then Jesus decides to get down on his hands and knees to wash the feet of the disciples and even the feet of Judas Iscariot, who in verse 2, it says, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, 
And just Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and had come from God uh, and it was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel tied around his waist. He bends down and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And when we read this, it says that Jesus, before the feast, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Now, what that actually means is that there's kind of two ways to interpret this. Uh, When it says that he loved them to the end, it is saying that he loved them to the end of his life. That to the very end, even as he hung upon the cross, as he was uh, suffering the separation between him and God the Father, as the sins of the world were upon his shoulder, even at that very moment, instead of thinking upon his own needs and his own desires and his own pain and his own anxiety, he loved his disciples to the end. Now, this word to the end is the word telos, which literally means perfect. And another way to interpret this is to say that he loved them forever or that he loved them perfectly forever. He loved them to the end of the age. One commentator says that he likes to translate this passage to say he loved the disciples to the full extent of his love. That there was not even an ounce held back from Jesus. But that what he was showing and what he was showing in action and in words was choosing to love his disciples in a tangible, humble way that would etch into their minds the very image that the very savior of the world, the one who spoke all the universe into being, would actually bend down and wash their feet. And it is this love that we experience through Christ. It is this love that is offered to all of us who will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through his life, death, and resurrection, that we receive eternal life. And I think the reality and the magnitude of this love is something that uh, many of us, we know in our heads and we can acknowledge it and we can say, yes, amen, I agree to that. But oftentimes we don't really understand it to the point where it is slowly and inevitably transforming our lives into Christ-likeness. And so then the next point, and I think what we have to understand is then, well, how does Jesus love us? Right? What is the display of Jesus' love? And and this love that Jesus is, you know, that he shows us is not just some obscure love. It's not just some kind of like lofty idea of like, oh, yeah, I love you. You know, it's not just an emotion-based thing, but it's something that is displayed in a very tangible way for us. And the love that God displayed and communicated through his son is, is something that is so real that we can all experience it through his humble service to us. In this situation, it is the humble service of of him washing the feet of the disciples, which ultimately is pointing to the ultimate service of his death on the cross. So now as the disciples were gathered for supper, Jesus takes upon himself the role of this humble servant. He takes the position of a servant, wraps his garments around his waist. He gets down on the floor, washes the feet of the disciples, even the one that would utterly, uh, ultimately betray him. And what we see in this passage is really the contrast between two very different attitudes of two very different paradigms of, what, um, of how people operate. What we see in Jesus is the king of the universe 
the very being that spoke into existence, every single thing here in this world, anything that was ever created came into being because of him, and he would bend down to wash the feet of the very disciples. When the disciples asked Jesus, who is the greatest among us, or who is the greatest, he says, truly, truly, he says, unless you become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I, and I, and I don't think Jesus is talking about just, oh, be like a kid, you know, be immature. Uh, I think what Jesus is speaking about here is this idea that young children, you know, very little children, um, they, they have very little, if not zero, desire for selfish ambition. Right? They, they have zero desire for personal advancement. And all, all they want and all they kind of need is, is just to be surrounded by people who love them. Right? When I see my son, my youngest, he's you know, three, almost four, uh, you know, if I ask him, like, hey, what do you want? Like, he'll say, like, oh, I want grapes you know, or I want candy. You know? He's not like, well, I want to be the greatest person. You know, like, you don't have that at that young age. There's no a personal a desire for personal. He's not like, oh, I, I want to be better than um, uh, Isaac so that I can be the oldest son. You, you know, like, he, there's, no, there's not that, there, like, that ambition in their heart. And what Jesus is saying is, like, if you want to be the greatest, you have to understand that type of humility. You have to understand that the greatest is not the one who seeks to advance themselves, but the greatest is the one who understands that serving others is what brings them to the greatness of Christ-likeness. So as Jesus describing greatness, uh, is really just this idea that a person, when they have an attitude of a servant and is willing to serve everyone and anyone for the other's benefit. And Jesus displays this act of greatness with the very fact that he washes the feet of Judas Iscariot. I mean, I can't imagine that. Right? Um, like, I, I'm completely the opposite. If I feel like you've betrayed me, then you get nothing but, like, spite and vengeance from me. You know, like, if someone is going to stab me in the back, then you better hope you kill me. Right? Like, I better be dead, you know? because I will get you back. Like, not like, like you know, I'm not gonna just like, put, I'll, I'll, I'll be very conniving, you know, very, very evil in, in how I, 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 you guys know what I'm saying, I'm not like really that evil, but you know, um, yeah, you, you know, we're just, we're all, we're all people, we're all humans, right? But yeah, Jesus does that, right? And, and here's the thing, like what we see is a contrast between Jesus' humility and the utter pride of Judas. The reason why Judas betrays Jesus is because he no longer sees following Jesus as something that is beneficial to him. Judas was a zealot. Uh, and as a zealot, what that meant was that politically, he desired the liberation of Israel from the Roman Empire. And when he first encountered this Messiah, this Jesus, the one who spoke about the kingdom of God that is to come, the kingdom of heaven that is to come, he understood or he believed that what Jesus was going to accomplish was that he was going to accomplish a political and physical liberation of the people of Israel from the Roman Empire. And once he started realizing that this Jesus had a very different mission than the one that he had, that Jesus, what he was talking about was, was not a earthly kingdom that he would not take upon the throne uh, on on, you know, on, in Israel, in the temple of God, but that he was talking about a heavenly throne, 
a, a heavenly mission to liberate not just the people of Israel politically, but to liberate all humanity from slavery to sin, Judas no longer saw his connection with Jesus as a way of personal advancement. So thus, he said, how can I shed my losses and get out of here with the most money I can? So he goes to the religious leaders and says, I will be hand over Jesus to you. How much will you give me? And he's offered 30 pieces of silver. The contrasting attitudes of Jesus Christ, one who understood that service, even in the most humble and maybe outwardly seeing, a, a most degrading way, is that that was the road to greatness. Whereas in Judas, what we see is a man who was after his own self-preservation and self-personal advancement and would do anything and everything to achieve that for himself. So Jesus shows this display of love in a way that would change the very paradigm of our thinking. Because for us, even in this world, even in this culture, what we think is that we always have to look out for number one. Right? There's this idea that, I mean, sure, we want to be helpful and sure, we want to you know, serve others. But if there's a, a, a point where it doesn't make sense for us to do so for our own personal lives, if it doesn't make sense for us to do so financially, if it doesn't make sense for us to help others, uh, you know, politically or educationally or, you know, within our work or in our career advancement, then what is the point of it? And I'm sure many of us, maybe if not all of us, have come upon something like that and decided, you know what, forget it, that's not for me. But Jesus, he does this by washing the dirtiest part on someone's body, okay? Um, feet are disgusting, you know? Like, my kids, their feet stink. Like, I, I, don't, know, I don't know if they get it from me. It, they, I don't think they get it from me, but um, <laughs> they might. I, I'm, I'm just putting it out, they might, I don't, I don't know, but I, I, I don't know, maybe, I don't think they get it from me. Uh, but their feet stink, and it's gross, right? And even if your feet don't stink, it, it kind of looks weird, right? My feet look like, like, like hobbit feet, you know, and like, I hate taking off my socks because I don't want anyone to see my hobbit feet. They're disgusting, you know? Uh, I, wanna, I got a pedicure with my daughter once and I was like, I'm never doing this again because I don't want people like looking at my feet and touching my feet because it's gross, right? And back in those days, the reason why uh, you were offered to wash your feet is because everyone wore sandals. Have you ever worn sandals for like a day? Like not on walking on concrete, but like walking in like a dirt trail? Your feet get so dirty. And during that time, when you were invited over to someone's house for dinner, you would bathe, you would wash. And then once you got there, what needed to be washed? Your feet, because it's dirty again. And when the host would off, it was a common courtesy, kind of like, oh, would you like something to drink or would you want me to take your coat? This common courtesy was, oh, can I wash your feet? And when the host says, can I wash your feet, what he really means is, oh, I'm going to have my servant wash your feet for you. Or if they're not rich enough to uh, wash your feet, they just provide you with some water and you wash your own feet because that's how dirty it was. And in this culture, this idea that someone of significance, someone of a high position, a rabbi, a teacher, a religious leader would actually be the one to bend down to wash your feet was completely countercultural. It's completely something that was, quote unquote, beneath Jesus to do so. And yet he displays his ultimate love for his disciples by going down and washing their feet. And of course, the washing of their feet 
had a greater significance than just personal hygiene. It was a sign of the greater washing that was to come, that only by the blood of Jesus, only by his humble service by dying on the cross, would the disciples actually be clean. That just as a regular person would gain entrance into the house of the host when their feet was washed, when their feet were washed, that the disciples would now be able to enter the heavenly home of God the Father because of the washing of their dirtiness and sin by the blood of Christ. And this is what Jesus, and this is how Jesus displays his love for us. But the, I think, important question and the last point is then, like how, like, how did Jesus get to a point where he was actually able to love people like Judas, people like you and me? Like, like, you know, like how can anyone get to that type of, of, of pure love and attitude? Right? And it really comes down to the foundation of Jesus' love for us. And the reason why Jesus is able to love us in this way is because he fully understood his identity and worth in God the Father. And and here's the thing, like, no matter how nice of a person you are, there is a limit to how you are willing to serve somebody. Right? I mean, like, ask yourself, what, what is your limit? I mean, for me, the moment someone feels entitled to my service is the very moment I no longer want to serve them. That's why I could never be a waiter, you know, like, because you feel entitled to their service, right? Like, or or if, if someone feels, uh, or if, you, if I begin to feel like there's a lack of gratitude for, for me going out of my way to help you, um, then I no longer want to help you. Or, it, yeah, I, 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 got a lot of, I got a lot of these examples, okay? Or if I feel that you start to question how I'm helping you, then I no longer want to help you either, right? Uh, my wife, um, you know, she wanted to do a fire pit. And um, I, this was when I was away, so she tried to do the fire pit herself, and then the, the wood would not light, and it was just smoky, and all the kids were, like, trying to cook s'mores with just smoke, and they're like, ah, my eyes are burning, you know? And so they're like, she's like, okay, I can't. She's like, teach me how to, you know, light this fire pit. I was like, sure. So I took her outside. I was like, first, what you got to do is get the, you know, the kindling, you know, and, and you put it down. And she's like, are you sure? And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> what do you mean, are you sure? You want me, you're asking. And then I was like, then, you, and she's like, are you sure? Like, aren't you? And I was like, well, forget it. I, I'm not helping you. So I, I, I just, I didn't teach her, you know. Um, was that mean? No, it's not mean. It's justified, right? But you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, there's certain limits of things that we are placed on whether we want to continue helping somebody or serving somebody or not. Uh, and, but the reason why, G- and, and Jesus has every right to be like, all right, guys, it's the Passover feast. Uh, I'm going to wash your feet. Well, what, the, what? You guys are arguing about who's greater among you? Forget it. I'm out of here. You know, or, or the moment he's like, wait a second, I'm going to wash your feet. Wait, Judas, I know you're going to betray me. I'm out of here. You know, like he, at any moment, he could have been like, I'm out of here. And, and the reason why is because oftentimes, our, the foundation of our service to others is based on their response to us because we believe that their response to us is what gives us a sense of identity and self-worth. That unless someone is willing to be fully, truly grateful in response to what I am doing, then my service really isn't all that worth it. Or unless they truly acknowledge the, the effort and, the, and the, the time that it's going to take for me to actually help them do something, unless they acknowledge that, then I'm not you know, it, it's not really worth my time. 
But the reason why Jesus is able to fully serve and display this humble act for the disciples is because his identity and his worth was founded upon God the Father. Okay? And it says this in verse, uh, verse 1. It says, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied around his waist. See, the foundation of Jesus' love for us is not based on our response to him. It's not based on whether or not we are going to acknowledge and be grateful for his service to us. It's the foundation of Christ's love for us is because he understood that his worth was found upon the very fact that God the Father had given him all things into his hands. He understood his identity of where he came from, having come from the Father. He understood his mission that he would go back to the Father after his death. Security in his identity, security in his mission, security in the very self-worth of who he was, was based on his relationship with God the Father, and thus he was able to serve even the very people that would deny him, that would ridicule him, that would betray him. And so then the question or the next step is this. Jesus, after having washed the feet of the disciples, he tells them and gives them the command, right? If I, the teacher, can do this for you, right? A student is not greater than the teacher. You need to do this to others. See, for the disciples at that very moment, they understood that their attitude did not match their identity. That they did not have an attitude of a servant, but that they had an attitude of someone who was entitled wanting higher positions in life. That's why they were arguing amongst themselves. But Jesus' command to them is a complete paradigm shift. That the world is going to tell you that you are only worth something that you are great if you hold a certain position and if people are serving you. He says, that is not what I am teaching you. I am teaching you is that the greatest among you is the one who will be like a child. The greatest among you is the one who is going to be the least. The greatest among you is the one who is going to emulate and understand the attitude of service and humility that I have. That even though I should be the one reclining at the table, I am the one who is serving. And that is true greatness defined by God the Father. And this greatness is seen ultimately at the, very, at the cross as Jesus hung, was murdered, sacrificed in our place for our salvation. So in practical application, then the question, and the things are, uh, two applications for you is this. Number one, we must fight the attitude of pride. We must fight the attitude of pride that is, is, is so prevalent in every single one of our hearts. Right? And one of the ways that the attitude of pride comes up is uh, through our critical hearts and through the criticisms of the things around us. 
Now, here's uh, Peter. Peter's, I love Peter because he's funny, right? Peter's funny. Now, in this interaction, Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. He gets to Peter, and Peter's like, oh, Jesus, you're going to wash my feet? Right? You're going to wash my feet? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to wash your feet. He's like, no, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus is like, hey, if I don't wash your feet, you do not have a part in me. He's like, okay, well, then don't wash my feet only. Wash my hands and my head as well. Now, here's the thing. Like, G Peter, he's humble enough to recognize that what Jesus was doing was something unfathomable. But at the same time, he was not humble enough to tell him what not to do. Right? And I think that's a lot of us. We're humble enough to recognize the position and authority of Jesus, but we are still not humble enough to tell him we think he's doing something wrong when things are not going the way we think our lives should be going. Right? Like, Jesus, you, you are the Lord of my life, but I should be, like, here in my life right now. You know, like, you know, like Jesus, you, you, you are my savior. You are the one that I follow. But don't tell me to go here, anywhere but here. Let me go there. And, and it's, so it's not like a, a pride where it's so prevalent and so easy for us to see that we'd be like, oh, man, I'm being so prideful right now. No, it's, it's a subtle pride, right? Peter, in his mind, was probably thinking, I am being the most humble of all the disciples because I'm not going to let Jesus only wash my feet. No, no, no. Jesus can't wash my feet. If he does, he's got to also wash my head and my hands. No, he was actually being very prideful because he thought he knew what was better than Jesus. And I think this kind of shows up in a lot of ways, in the way we criticize one another, in the ways we criticize our ministries, the way we criticize our churches, the way we criticize our workplaces, the way we critique our family members. We think that we are actually being humble when in fact we are being filled with pride. Second application is this, that one of the ways that we combat our pride is by understanding that there is no task that is beneath us. Okay. Understanding and believing and truly believing that there is not a task that is beneath us. We are never overqualified to serve anyone in need. Now, a lot of us here are overqualified for a lot of things, right? There, there's, there's a lot of things that we are, are highly advanced in, we are trained in, we have gone to school in, we are experts in. And what Jesus says is that in this idea of, of being a heart of, a, a, you know, having an attitude of a servant, if I wash your feet, then there is nothing that I can ask of you where you should feel disrespected or overqualified. For I'm calling you to do as I have done to you. For I'm calling you to serve others in the most humble way, just as I have humbly served you. There are many things and many, many ways we can apply this. Right? There are certain people in your lives that you are thinking, you know what, it's not my job. I don't need to reach out to them. There are certain things that people may ask of you, and you might think, are you kidding me? Do you know how much my time is worth? There are certain things that the church may ask of you, and you might think, you know what, I'll do that 
once you guys get your stuff together. Once organizationally everything is in place, then I'll, maybe I'll serve. Or there might be, th- you know what, there's a need there, but that's not for me. There's other younger people with more time that can do it. Or there's, you know, people who, who, who should actually do it, not me. I'm, I'm way too overqualified for this. You know, this is oftentimes the attitudes that we have in our communities, in our families, in our churches. And what Jesus is saying is, no, in order for your attitude to match your identity, you need to understand what it means to truly humble yourself. Not to serve, but to be a servant. I think there's a, a very important and unique distinction There's a difference between serving and being a servant. One is just something that we do. The other is something that we are. And what Jesus is showing to us in this story is that he is not just someone who serves, but he is the ultimate servant that changes our lives forever. Let's pray. Let's take a few moments to reflect and to respond uh, to, the ser- uh, to the sermon that we just heard. Uh, I'm sure that there's many points and there's many things that might be um, in your hearts and in your minds. Uh, but think about just that one person or that one task that you feel that God has placed in you to actually go out of your way. Uh, and, and service, humble service is costly. Right? Think about that one task, one person that you feel that God is calling you to serve in the most humble way and ask yourself, why can I not do this? Or why am I unwilling to do this? As you think about that, uh, let's take some moment of, of, of response as the worship team leads us in a song.